Hello and welcome back to the Comic Lyra podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best, worst, and middest of comic books, graphic novels, and sometimes mangas. I'm your host, the soon-to-be-known-as Comic Stan, and with me, as always, is my botanical co-host, it's Jamie. Hello there, how are you? I'm, I think a little better, a little hey, better than... You're faring a bit better than me, are you? Shall we address the elephant in the room before, uh, before we get started? I think we should. I have three updates. Three updates. I have that's, three updates. That's one more than I was expecting. It is one more than you're expecting because I remembered one. Ah, fantastic. First update, Ryan. Mm-hmm. I done fucked up. Right. I messed my queens up. We have had a message from our resident historical his, historical consultant. I say, better leave the big words for me this this episode. Absolutely. We have had a message from our resident historical consultant. Mm-hmm. Would you like a classic Jamie recap, or would you like? me to just quote what he said so the problem is they could be wildly different interpretations so let's start with the jamie recap and then we'll see if it makes sense or not i done fucked my queens up okay in the last episode it was quite a history heavy episode i got this i mean we are recording on the day that the last episode came out yep i got a message at eight twenty-seven this morning from the historical consultant he does mm-hmm. have my phone number now he's very useful right it said already listening to the new podcast eight forty-two just turned off the podcast as i got to work but i didn't hear i didn't just hear you say elizabeth is catholic she was fucking proddy as the day is long mary was the catholic elizabeth had elizabeth had catholics burned at the stake mate you have got to start calling me to check some facts at this point i think at this point it's very obvious that the hysterical (laughs) the historical (laughs) correspondent of the podcast is a close friend because it wouldn't be some a stranger of the internet would be as that as uh no he's just a listener just a random listener he's just a random listener you definitely did not know beforehand definitely didn't know him beforehand he's a random listener he's a fan of the podcast he likes comic literate so much that he listens to it on the tram on the way to his job in london right and he spots our historical errors and he helps us correct them and he's very kind in doing so we don't pay him he is regardless of what i've said he is very kind in doing so he's putting in the effort that he didn't need to and Absolutely. we appre- and we appreciate that second update mm-hmm. we have a musical intro we do yes we do is started at the beginning of this episode yep fantastic um we haven't heard it added to the episode yet no. because of the weird scheduling of how we record it and stuff but, but now that i've said it you have to put it in it's going to be post added to this episode i'm quite invested in you guys liking this for one particular reason that i'll let ryan tell you uh that jamie wrote it and recorded it <laughs> yes. we did it together i'm not a very i'm not a very good music producer ryan's never recorded music before so we had a go and i quite like it i think it's punchy i think it's got that energy that we deliver I think it does. I think it represents our punk rock (laughs) comic book Uh, assessments. Yeah, it's like a garage rock comic book intro. I Mm. fucking, I'm here for it. The third update, and this is probably the update I should have given first. Kind of informs the previous two. I'm a bit drunk. Yes. (laughs) I have a part-time job in a pub. We had a team meeting. Apparently, team meetings in a pub turn into everyone sitting around and drinking together. I could have told you that, but... Well, do you know what, Ryan? I've done quite professional jobs for a long time. Not, I've not had to work in a pub since I was a student. That was an awfully long time ago. I wasn't aware. Things have happened. We're moving on. <laughs> We're moving past it. And oh, the temptation was to not mention it and see if anyone noticed. But probably better to cards on the table be like, this is why it is. I it is. couldn't have handled nobody noticing it. 
Mm. I detest the idea that that sober Jamie is just as erratic as drunk Jamie. I mean, we will find out. We had a discussion off air, humble listener, about whether or not I kept drinking throughout the podcast to maintain a level. I was against the idea. Understandably, I was for it. Yeah, in this state. (laughs) And for any of our non-British listeners, and I don't know how much this spreads past our humble isle or not, but accidentally getting drunk on a weekday is a b- staple of British living. Like, yeah, I'm not the only person who's ever done that. No, it's and I do work in a pub. Like, yes. it happens from time to time. Yes, and it's interesting because I I've listened to a podcast recently uh, over the Christmas time. A lot of podcasts done by bigger groups were having their Christmas parties. Yeah, one of them I listened to was they do a daily review of wrestling and one of them they the intro was them recording in a club at one in the morning doing the intro and getting a guy who was who was in the business but was not a wrestling fan to be like just say this bit it'll be funny because it's a joke we do just say this bit where we come to you was it not a joke they do (laughs) it is a joke but the way he did it made it sound like it wasn't (laughs) that's so good but then it cuts to it's literally for the first like five minutes and then it cuts to them hung over the next morning doing the actual re- like episode. So I so the historical consultant who is not a friend of mine, right? Yep, absolutely not, not a friend of mine. Of course, um, is probably going to come visit me at some point before the spring because we visit each other since he became the historical correspondent. Yeah, yeah. we visited each other semi regularly. Um, when he comes down, I think we should have a comic literate Christmas party. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to just have him on the episode. Well, he's never met you. Right, yep. I don't think you've met our Our historical historical correspondent. Our correspondent. (laughs) And so it would be really, because he listens to us like nearly, like he listens to us once a week on his two tube journeys. Yeah, I'd I'd love to have him on the show. And so it'd be great because like you've met other people that I have become friends with because of the podcast who listen. Uh, Speaking of running jokes and podcasts, (laughs) but go on. Like, and they've met you and been like, oh, you must be Ryan because I recognize your voice from the podcast. The voice is very recognizable, I've been told. So back to the comic. Back to the comic. Or starting with the comic. I got to do it. But is it actually, is it technically back to if we haven't started on it yet? Look, yeah. I'm just throwing in a. I'm in no fit state for you to start on me. I'm throwing in the podcast jokes. (laughs) The long running ones. Actually. Alan Moore? I don't know. Actually is one we should get on a shirt. It should be right. me pushing up my glasses saying with that spelling A-K-S-H-U-L, you know. If you would buy, actually, with an illustration of something pretending to be Ryan pushing up a pair of glasses or, on a shirt. Or if we get like a copyright-free um, nerd, like a stereotypical nerd with the glasses. Right. With the bandage over the middle. If you would buy that on a t-shirt, leave us a five-star review <laughs> that just says cunt. Or actually, I think that'll pit. No, cunt is funnier. Because otherwise we will go through them and be like, hey, what What are these messages for? All of these YouTube yeah. comments that just and, say cunt. <laughs> and to be fair, to be fair, one of the shorts did have a comment, which I was going to bring up to you. I forgot to mention. Well, let's do it now. One of the shorts, uh, it was about, um, it was about the people who hired by disney who had previous criminal convictions yes and i was like i'm almost certain that these are the only two and it was robert downey jr and tim allen yeah and 
I say that in the thing. I'm like, I don't know if this is true, but I'm pretty sure this. And I tried to research it for all of about 10 to 15 minutes, and I could not find anything. All I could find was like... more research than you've ever done for this podcast. Exactly. All I could find was like ex-Disney club, like kid stars who had gone on to do shit, but none who had already been convicted and then been hired. I know a Disney cruise guy. uh, Yeah, I've met him, actually. He's nice. He's nice. He listens. so hey mate, did this he short, listen. and there were there were two comments on the short because comment the shorts rarely get comments, understandably. Yeah. But there was two comments on the short. One was a guy going, "Hang on, so you don't actually know this, and yet you're reporting on it as if you do." <laughs> were they American? That sounds like an American. I have no idea, but it's just the 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 idea that they were like. I get my news from you guys, and now you tell me you don't research it? <laughs> if you, if anybody is getting their news from us, please, while you're listening to this episode, just log on to BBC <laughs> News, for fuck's sake. Or any new, any <laughs> actual news, for that matter. Yeah. And the well, funny the Guardian thing, charges, you know. Yeah, yeah. The Terrible. funny thing was, the second comment, and the yeah. only other comment on the video, just said, gay. <laughs> <laughs> what? just said gay i should read our comments more often because they're always a gold mine hmm. and the 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 instinct is to take it initially as an accusation or a name calling or that kind of one yeah but also the way it's read like tone does not convey well through, through it, or it could have just been gay <laughs> just like not even like accusatory just saying gay <laughs> if you were the person who left a comment saying gay. Leave another gay with an exclamation mark or with a question mark well, or explain something. explain yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like, I want to know. I need to know what the context was. And the funny thing is, that if you go on, like, a YouTube studio screen or whatever, it, it shows, like, the latest comments. So for ages, whenever I logged in, it was the top one on there, and it just... It's, every, every time I logged time in, logged gay. In. <laughs> just, just gay. That's so good. <laughs> I know. How long has this been going on for? I mean, going, it happened once ages ago, and I just forgot to mention it. But, but every time since i mean for a while we've had we've had some since so that's pushed it then pushed them down please leave us more comments (laughs) (laughs) and if they could be as funny as just the word gay then fantastic (laughs) okay we should probably get this ball rolling because the temptation to be like and but it's like don't don't start internet don't start internet discourse with a youtube i'm gonna log in from my private youtube account and just go at it but to what end? Like, what are we achieving here? Yeah, you don't feed the troll. Exactly. It's a well-known fact. If the trolls are just going to be funny by themselves, just let them. Like, it's yeah. like it's like it's like the Nazi guy. <laughs> Remember the Nazi guy? Yeah. What was his comment? It was technically the Nash. Technically, was the Nazi Nationalist party were socialists. Yeah. Uh, of, again, commenting on this news <laughs> reporting of <laughs> Superman's dad. From, yeah. From a- Fucking Alan Moore comic book from 85. On Superman's dad. That was the top story of the day. And he needed to weigh in on it. Fuck me. So we've had our preamble and now we'll go start diving into the comic. And as you see from the title, we are covering the Poison Ivy solo series from DC. Are we starting with the arting? Uh, we will. I've just got the, the the little bit of preamble. I'm which, so glad you're here for structure today, bud. I mean, you could say that every episode, but even more, more so, so now today. than ever. So the Poison Ivy comic is a, I think it's the first longer solo series of the character. Yeah. So 
speaking of retcons or corrections from the previous episode, I said about Neil Gaiman not having done any Marvel or DC before he did 1602. Turned out he did do a little bit. He was he was doing a little bit of stuff. And he'd done some Poison Ivy. He actually did Poison Ivy's um origin back in like eighty eight. It was well, like a it was like a one shot one issue. Well let's cut this shit off now. <laughs> Go read and come back. Yeah, that's more, that's way more interesting. We can come back to it. We can come back to it. But that's always bad soup. What, to come back to something? Yeah, we've established this. Then we will strengthen our skills as podcasters and learn how to do it effectively. I have no soft skills as a podcaster. Well, we grow. We, we, this, is, this is how we... <laughs> as you've mentioned. <laughs> so, back to the, uh, the structure. So, Poison obviously had a few solo things uh a couple of miniseries this is the first kind of ongoing one uh it was written by g willow wilson now we have read something by her already do you remember what it is no it was the original ms marvel run so she kind of co-created kind of mainly created the ms marvel character when you say the original do you mean the kamala khan kamala khan ms marvel yeah whoa shit yeah so that's she's that writer now doing this poison ivy run uh, with the art primarily, as it says here, by uh, Marcio Takara. Um, and it was what I found interesting was it was originally intended to be a mini series, but it then at the last wire expanded into an ongoing thing. So it's now run for like a, over a year or so and will apparently go on for a while. I feel like this, sh- I've read past what we've done. So we're reading issues, we're covering issues one to six here. It's the first volume of this run from 2022. And admittedly, issue, I did wonder. Because issue six feels like a pretty final resolution. It, well, it's the end of a volume, so that's not uncommon in ongoing series. But where it goes after that, it feels less, slightly less focused than what we've read here. So one, in the one hand, I was, well, I was glad for us to do just this first yeah, volume. Yeah, that makes sense. But I feel like it would have been better as a isolated mini series, maybe even just these six issues, or maybe a bit longer. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting to anyone who reads it. Uh, you kind of see where we're coming from here. So starting with the arting, as we've got the uh, the details God, out. Starting how, with the arting. How did you feel about the art? Dude, there's jank. There is jank. I do, but there's there also is... a lot of great stuff as well. So there was this one splash panel in issue one that I really liked, which was them establishing the camper van. They established a camper van with the splash panel, which I liked. Hmm. But just to be clear that we're looking at the same jank here. I've also got a picture of jank, so. Jank. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got this one. Jank! So I will say. Jank! There, there is a bit, but there are also a lot of pages with good facial expressions as well. I definitely think the way they dealt with issue six, like a lot of the art in issue six is fantastic. I would say across all the six, a lot of the hallucination stuff is pretty great. And I also really a lot of the smaller loved, bits as well. I really loved Harlequin's alternate costume. So when she's not full Harley Quinn in issue one, hmm. but then in issue two, when she's hallucinating and she sees her and she's in the droopy hat thing, I think she looked fantastic. Hmm. And I think they did a really great job of uh, styling out all the botanical stuff. Yep, yep. Which obviously is a Poison Ivy. I mean, I know nothing about Poison Ivy, so it might be interesting here for us to have for you to give me the context, because I thought Poison Ivy was a lady who had whips. Yeah, I think you're only getting confused there with like vines that move by themselves so but i thought her powers were like whippy whippy vines not poisoning people with mushrooms so 
it, the <laughs> the mushrooms is a, f- a unique thing to this story. Right. So, okay. So, so so I'm not completely yeah. on the wrong fucking trail. Yeah. And here. I'm gonna I'm gonna explain kind of where I think you got that from because I say you're not far off. I think is just it's the passing glances of a character rather than knowing like the specifics. So I'll give you uh, a little backstory. Of Poison Ivy, if anyone doesn't know, she is part of Batman's Rogue Gallery. That's his villain, right? Yes. The rogue gallery is normally a hero's rogue gallery of villains. How have I gotten to this point making a comic book podcast and not known that term? <laughs> it's not an it's not an obvious term to be fair. Like well, it's a nice it's a nice expression though. Yeah, yeah. And she's a one of the kind of most well known ones. I right. think most most like people who don't read comics will know her from the George Clooney Batman film where she was played by played by the same one who played Kill, Uma Thurman Kill Bill. Uma Thurman's fucking great. Yes. She fantastic. Actor. She did a very hammy chewing the scenery kind of performance which was what the film asked for yeah, in that yeah, totally. role. She was the one who's like uh like I'm I'm a lover, not a fighter. Like I, I make my goons do that, and or you know, plant-based puns. It was the same one with Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. So he was doing all the right. the ice-based puns yeah. as well. Um, so most people know her from that. Uh, her general thing as a villain is uh, she's one of the, one of the more interesting Batman villains. He has a few like this where they have some motivations that make her a bit more sympathetic. So her thing right. is she is very much a plant-based villain in the sense that. <laughs> Like As opposed vegan. to plant-based meat, yeah. <laughs> like every vegan. Yes. Oh, it's another plant-based villain who's come in. And that's actually an interesting point that we're going to get to later as well. Well, the, the ecological stuff is actually quite mm. on the nose and quite interesting. When did yeah. this come out? Uh, 2022, so very recently. Yeah. yeah, so within the current kind of cultural climate. Yes, Which and there's a lot of that, which we'll be getting into. Um, So she is, the general backstory is that she was either experimented on or she was a scientist. She was a scientist in every iteration, or, yeah. or she experimented on herself, depending on the the iteration. Yeah. But she gains these plant powers. It's kind of a plant psychicness. So she connects with the plant, can control them with her mind and stuff like that. She also can uh, like excrete like pheromones and stuff. And her own body is quite altered as well. So like in this prime example, she has a healing factor which comes up quite a bit. She can release pheromones. Her big thing she's known for as a Batman villain, like more back in the day, is that she would excrete villains that uh, excrete pheromones that would make pe- like people, and mostly men, but sometimes women as well, basically fall in love with her. So uh, she would then like mind control them in is that it way. Catwoman or her that Batman has like a romantic story? Catwoman. So it's not her? No, okay. but she's she's had the whole like... She's de- I, without knowing it for certain, she's absolutely had that s- scenario where she's made Batman fall in love with her, and, right, okay. and he's had to like resist and break free. That kind of, she's the she's very much a, f- a comic book femme fatale in like the very literal thing of her powers. If he's that makes just sense, they're thinking of Alfred. <laughs> yeah, think of England. Think of England, baby. Mm. So um, that's her general backstory uh, with regards to this specifically. Oh, and her motivations. She's always been a an ecologist ecological kind of terrorist in a way like her whole thing is to um basically do things that will make the plants thrive and the humans either die or you know like anything to reset like the balance of mother nature that kind of stuff and i feel like that i mean this might just be because of thanos but i feel like this idea of redressing the balance and curbing humanity for the benefit of the planet or the ecology is actually a reoccurring theme in comic books at the moment definitely i think she's one of the older original ones to be doing this kind of thing yeah and i imagine ecological concerns were much less prevalent in Mm. the general psyche 
20 years ago you know i think one a big influence of this comic especially probably on the writer um mm. is back in the day before uh you know climate change was a bigger topic as it is now yeah back then it was just people were like yeah it, i suppose it would be good if more trees grew and stuff but also maybe don't destroy the city so the plants can overrun it like that kind of attitude yeah but totally a, but as climate change has become more of a mainstream uh awareness of, of in the general public i think she has naturally become a bit more sympathetic mm. it's kind of like oh she was talking about this from the start like even if she was being evil about it like i read her as quite a sympathetic character exactly that's why i think she's kind of turned into this kind of anti-hero yeah uh, uh character but yeah originally it was like i'm going to destroy gotham so that the plants can take over as, <laughs> as gotham. i mean she's a batman villain so Why not tokyo or new york she lives gotham. in gotham start your hometown what's the population of gotham it's meant to be like a new york or chicago like a, a big a city. big city yeah yeah right um but yeah so she's but we've established she can't even get car insurance there i don't know why anyone lives there well apparently you must be able to get car insurance there because <laughs> people have it it's... Venice, americans aren't a big fan of car insurance are they in general yeah well they don't need it like we do like like we are required by law to have it here. So yeah, I think that's the difference. If you're going to yeah. drive a car, you need to insure that shit. Yeah. So, yeah, Ivy is an interesting character, especially one at this point to to delve into her motivations and and kind of realign her as a character. Um I like that in the beginning she's she is quite bold-faced still a evil person. Yeah. Uh what tends That really changes over the first volume though, doesn't it? Yes. And I think the point of this volume, I think the the actual like intention of it was to get her from evil villain to anti-hero. Yeah, and, I... and DC are, DC are into that at the moment. Like that Superman issue we read. Like m- like more recent iterations of Lex Luthor mm. kind of paint him as more of a gray area figure so the past 10 or 20 years that that has been a trend i think the problem was was that in the 90s and this is pure speculation please feel free to please feel free to correct me if you know better uh in the 90s there was a trend of trying to make the heroes more gritty and darker and that did not receive really well Mm because when you're trying to turn like spider-man into a gritty dark character it's like no that's not what that's not what we like about the local him. neighborhood spidey mm. and even batman went too far and thor at one point was a biker and you know all these weird things thor they were was doing a biker. yeah it was weird um oh that's not considering the kind of political allegiances in those biker gangs turning a norse god into a biker is certainly darker yeah that's a bit i'm i'm Ooh. i'm pulling at random like it's images that i've seen from the dad, 90s yeah so a socialist yeah <laughs> That's a deep cut. Maybe why it didn't last that long. Well, yeah, fucking A. But so... What th- would Thor ride? Uh, I don't know, Mobike? Oh, no. Harley Davidson? Probably would, something like that. I don't, know if, I don't know if the Scandinavians are well known for producing motorcycles. Yeah, but they're also not known for producing superheroes, specifically. So well, I think yeah, once I you cross that barrier, one. you do whatever you want. But. <laughs> so I think in the noughties, there was then a trend of like, well, what if we take these villains yeah. and, and then see how they do as like more of an anti-hero figure rather yeah. than making the superheroes darker. So I think you've, there's countless examples of that. Uh, more recently, Doctor Doom had a, a couple of, like five years ago, had a, a, a hero run, which I actually really liked. And then they just retconned. They were like, 
bollocks to this, he's a villain now again. Is Doctor Doom the one who, there was a kid of one of the superheroes that he became friends with because they yes. met on an intellectual level? Yeah, Fantastic Four's kids. Yeah, yeah. that's super, that's like a super yeah. interesting concept. Yeah, and that's and that was why it was such a good hero run, because it was him kind of, everyone was like, he's the most evil guy. Like, we don't believe you doing it. He was actually wearing bloody super Iron Man armor. So he was doing like uh, his own version of Iron Man. So it was a really interesting run. Tony Stark gave him the. He was in a coma at this point. <laughs> right, of course. Yeah. So an alcohol-induced coma. No, it was it was a self-induced coma or something. It was Tony it was Stark, a result man. of the civil. You always right, come back Civil yeah, War Two. We keep yeah, coming back to stuff that happened afterwards. But um, yeah, so a lot of anti-hero runs. This my problem with other anti-hero runs, like the prime example I have is uh, one. Uh, do you know a character called Deathstroke? Yeah. So he has had a few of these anti-hero runs because he's a mercenary. So I thought they were like, I think the writers were like, well, we can turn him good if we just, you know, yeah. some the right person pays him <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah, the right clientele. But there was a prime example I read a while ago, uh, which was basically, and I've seen it in a couple of other instances as well. So they take a villain mm. or a villainous character who typically shoots people with a gun. Like that's their thing. You can't yeah. take that away. You then try and make them good, and mm-hmm. what they do, and I've seen this at least twice, two examples I can think of, they have them still shooting people, but the bullets are non-lethal, <laughs> filled with a red gel that incapacitates the person without killing them. So they're trying in America. So they're trying to have that cake and eat it too, which yeah. I know is a dumb expression because why would you have cake and not eat it? But they're trying to have it both ways. It's like, look, he's shooting people and it's gory. Also, the the bullets, this red gel, and they're actually fine. Like, it was like the old A-team joke about, like, a, a baddie's getting a van and it flips over and sets on fire and they all crawl out because they're fine. It's yeah, like, of the course. A-team didn't kill anyone. Like, they're, they're <laughs> fine. Pierre yeah, is a good dude. So the reason I'm mentioning all this is I, I appreciate that at the start of this, they're not morally whitewashing her. She is still killing people at the she start. She straight up murders two dudes in like the first yeah. three pages. And there, and I appreciate again that they're just completely innocent. Yeah, they're, they're yeah like, totally. What are you doing on our land? Like, and she's I'm- just like, well, killing you serves the goal. It's mm. not. It's not important to the goal, but it doesn't set it any further back. So why not? Mm. I- and it's that line where, um, it's that line where she's ruminating on, or that one of them says that you know, if 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 she killed all the cows, she could just kill him. Mm. And then in her internal monologue, she says, I already did. I So my first issue with this came on the first page because mm. they did a cardinal sin. Right. Uh, the narration? Yeah, exposition through narration before yeah. there's been any action. You know how I feel about that shit. Yes. I, was gonna, I actually made a note of that because I do feel like it's the crutch or the, the, the shortcut of some comic writers to get exposition over in their limited page run and we've talked about this we've talked about superheroes inter- interior monologues and there was a superman a spider-man comic that we read that did it a lot yep yep uh, i think it was the one more day yeah, yeah yeah yeah, the multiverse one um and then i want to say human target did it a little bit yes human target did, less yeah. egregiously but in this as i read through i came to enjoy her monologue mm. more and more it was good writing. It was good to see what was going on in her mind. I think if she, if she had stayed where she started as a character, mm. if her motivations hadn't changed the way they did throughout the, the six volumes. Six issues. Six issues. I would have felt a bit differently about it. But because it's really important to us that we have a sense of her motivations changing, 
Mm. The most expedient way to get that across was with an interior monologue. Yeah. So towards the end, I kind of started to see why they did it. But right up front, I saw it. First panel, interior mm. monologue, nothing happening. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, he's got me reading another one of these. Here's where I've got to on this trope uh, yeah. since we've started discussing it on here. My thing is my favorite kind of comic is one that can get across all this exposition without a running dialogue uh, in a dialogue. I think that's the best kind. And when something does it, I do have a little bit like seeing on the first page, I have a little bit of like, okay, we're doing this then. Now where I am, I feel like if the dialogue, if it is contextualized in a way that actually relates to the story. Yeah. So this one, the le- it's a letter she's writing or letters to Harley Quinn. Yeah. So if it's that, I will give it, I will, that will, I'll forgive it a bit more because it's not just random internal dialogue. It is an actual thing that's happening in relation to the story. And again, it happened in that um, Supergirl run that I love. Yeah. And that was a secondhand writing of the story as well, wasn't it? Was it? A, it was her sidekick. Yeah. It was the person that she was traveling with who was writing her story. Mm. And we were seeing her narrative. And so, yeah, I think it's interesting here that we're seeing not just an in medium res interior monologue, but it's almost, I've used this term here before, I'm going to use it again. It's almost epistolary. Yeah. There's almost this epistolary element that's running through. And I, and I didn't know about the Harley Quinn thing. Mm. Because I, so I've never read a Poison Ivy comic. Yeah. I've never read a Batman comic that has Harley Quinn in it. Yeah. My sole understanding of Harley Quinn is from the trailer from the Suicide Squad films. Right. Yeah. Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn. I've not seen the Suicide Squad film. I've not seen the Joker film. My sole understanding of her is from trailers of that film. Mm. I didn't know her and Poison Ivy were just a thing. Yeah, they are now, yeah. How long has that been going on for? Uh, Quite a while. Uh, I think as far as I've been reading comics, for sure. So at Wild. least 10 years or so. I think what kind is, of happened was... Is pre or post Joker? <laughs> definitely post Joker, yeah. Post Joker, So right. what it kind of relates to, that context, is that Harley Quinn broke away from the Joker. Maybe in a one specific thing, but it felt like it was just kind of over time. Basically what happened was Harley Quinn became a very popular character... They wanted to turn her good because she was so popular and give her own stories and stuff. Again, she's a bit of an anti-hero. Bit, she works with Batman and stuff a lot as well. But the main point was when she broke away from Joker and they obviously gave it that spin of leaving an abusive ex kind of thing, mm. like that framing it in that way for the modern, you know, for the modern uh, era. Um, Poison Ivy became then her kind of not necessarily shoulder to crime, but like an emotional support. And yes. I think fans fans generally, I think, just shipped them together. And then that influenced the writing and actually made them an actual couple. Because isn't Harley Quinn's whole stick that she's just really mentally ill and has a baseball bat? So her thing is, is she was defined mainly by her relationship to the Joker. Right, okay. So uh, the whole, her origin was that she was a psychiatrist to the Joker. Like she was a normal person. Oh. And the Joker kind of influenced her. Kind of, she became like a especially her backstory became like a not quite Stockholm syndrome because she was never captured. She went along willingly from the start, but she was, she was enamored with this larger than life character. The Joker was and became in love with him. And that kind of led her down this path to becoming a villain with him. Yeah. Um, She's obviously done her fair share of evil stuff before, but now they've kind of retconned into, she was going along with it because not because she wanted to do evil, but because she just wanted to, please the joker you know and the joker obviously is like meant to be like master manipulator psychopath kind of person so he just loved having someone around um 
to bask in his glory and all that definitely helped that i say helped it helped reframe it later on that he was always like didn't treat her well yeah like again like i said about an abusive ex like he was like he didn't care about her he only her, her only value to him was like a sidekick and someone to yeah m- like give him praise and that kind of stuff so i think again that's what we contextualize in the modern era where uh she again found herself good friends with poison ivy and then i think the fans just ship them together and yeah. that's where we are now and i think it's a good representation in this um the other thing i say about the inner dialogue thing why i like as well is that it affects the story later on so as we see at the end and we're covering the whole six issues i think we're just going to cover it the whole thing i would say i recommend it i think it's a really interesting read so if you want to go read it beforehand and come back like i think you should do that but contextualize in the end where the letters go to harley quinn and right then that influence her she's then on her way to meet poison ivy so so I'll, she becomes like a character yeah she she appears in it for sure one thing i would point out as well just on the art uh kind of relates is the the actual depiction of poison ivy in this like physically so she has like a quite unique look for this specific series is she not normally ginger no no she's always a redhead yeah but if you see in the so there's some um flashbacks to when she's well before this series she's basically wearing what is like a stereotypical gap which is like a green leotard kind of thing with like the ivy leaves on it like yeah. very over the top like batman villain like you are dressed as the thing that you do yeah i like that for this it changes to black top and the boiler suit that's sometimes yeah. up and sometimes rolled down and the boots and it kind and she always she says that she's in landscaping whenever anyone asks yeah so i like that that's like a very unique look that if you see her like this so if you've ever like for me having seen her a lot of stuff before i could, if as soon as i see her like this i go oh this is the poison ivy series right so it's a very unique take on okay. how she is for this again i'd i'd I knew nothing about her, and so I mm. didn't know that that was a unique character model. But that's really interesting because yeah. totally fits the story, totally fits her kind of backstory for why she is where she is at any given time. Makes her look like more of a real character for this now. Yeah, totally. But by then showing what she used to look like in the flashbacks, it also it acknowledges that she was like a stereotypical villain beforehand. Uh, I also like... It kind of relates to the art, but also the context. The the fungi deaths, especially the ones at the beginning, look horrific. The botanical stuff is dealt with really well. Mm. And it, like I, I had the same thought, and I thought, at a minimum, if you're doing a Poison Ivy comic series, that that's a bare minimum requirement. Like You have to do the, the plant stuff well. Certainly this one. Yeah, and it, it looks great. It, it reminded me quite a bit of the Last of Us fungi monsters in yeah. that. And I think... It, this might have been influenced by that a bit. Maybe not so much the TV show, because that came out a couple of years ago. Video game. The video game was has been around for quite a while longer, and that's been quite impactful. So, But then also, if you're going to do fungi stuff in any superhero comic, this is the character to do that with. Yeah, totally. Like, mm. you wouldn't see Catwoman doing it, would you? No, it'd be weird if you did. Um, should I also give a quick kind of brief of the story of the comic as well, I mean, just for anyone? Balls deep, but go for it. Well, I'm more thinking if someone hasn't read it, <laughs> if they don't intend on reading it, they just want to hear us. Yeah, like, smash it, a bit of it. context. So Poison Ivy basically establishes in the first issue that her plan or goal at this point is she's stolen a type of fungi that can infect and kill people basically she's controlling it in herself and her plan is literally to go across america and spread it around the country as much as possible 
Uh, the idea being that there's some people who she can activate it in immediately. So she can, if someone gets near, it's in their system and she can telepathically or psychically activate it and kill the person immediately. Uh, but for everyone else, it can get in them and she can activate it like just later on from wherever she is. So the goal is to spread it around America as much as possible. And then at a certain point, it's like D-Day, set Detonate it off, it. kill a lot of people. And then by extension, humanity will kind of fall as the plants will rise kind of like thing. Like a form of biological warfare. Uh, definitely yeah yeah and there's a point in it which i thought was very smart where she literally goes to work in like what's essentially an amazon <laughs> like warehouse depository I mean, kind of if thing you were gonna try and get stuff as far as you could exactly as soon as she starts doing that you i i had the reaction of oh that's very smart like that yeah. is that works perfectly for what's going on here i do like in terms of her motivations so again this starts off with her pretty sinister goals in terms of killing a bunch of people like to the level of genocide so the fact that we see her almost start to wrestle with the motivations i thought was was very good character arc uh she starts off just being like that this is what i'm doing and also especially it kind of helps with the motivations that for, there's two main things i think were very intentionally <laughs> written in one is the people who die from it don't suffer yeah. And I think that was a very intentional point to write in because it softens the blow a little bit. And that's established like right off the bat in issue one. She kills yeah. all that livestock and says, yeah, but they suffered less than if you killed them for me. She didn't say that that's not verbatim, yeah, but, but that's the sentiment there, isn't it? And especially that not only do they not suffer, they actually experience a kind of bliss before they die. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. So I think that was very intentional. And the other point is, and it's kind of revealed at the end of the first issue, is that the fungi, it's not, she's not just carrying it, she is infected by it. Yeah. She's fighting it off with her healing ability, so that's how she's able to kind of keep going and keep spreading it. But also she's acknowledged that because it's in her, she will die. And she I, always had a healing factor. I think in the sense that most, um, most characters in DC, and by extension Marvel, if they've got any kind of powers, it, they always come with a healing factor as well. Well, because I've I've not encountered that many villains that have a healing factor. That's mm. normally like a hero thing, not a villain thing. So I think there's quite a few villains that do because it makes the the fights more difficult and it gives the it gives like yeah maybe the fights a bit more bite because they have to fight past this like they can resist normal injuries and you have to really make sure they're dead or no slashing or bludgeoning damage. Well, unless you're Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so she's, I, it's a plant thing. I think you could just very easily say, you know, her body is like pretty altered through plant stuff. So she's got accelerated plant healing or something. But I think the fact that these, it's established she's going to die, for one thing, is a trope that I do think we see quite a bit. It's target. It's, but it's always effective. I, yeah. It's always effective if you pay it off. So if you tell me at the beginning of something, a character's... And this is across... This is outside Super. Yeah. It's just across all fiction. If you tell me a character's going to die, I'm immediately hooked. Like, it's a simple thing, but effective tool. Yeah. But if you don't pay it off, I will then feel tricked. <laughs> you know? Like, and they're not paying it off here, are they? Not, not really. In, not in this. I have read Pass Forward, and they are continuing it. Surely killing your protagonist is a really effective way of ending a series. And yeah, I mean, that it has to end at some point. Like, as we, all, as we know, every superhero series gets retcon at some point, or they yeah. do a big crossover and reboot everything. Yeah. So they've got that in the pocket for when they do. What I will say is reading past it, not to get too far ahead, but that it does continue to influence the story. Did so this Poison Ivy ever re-enter Batman's Rogue Gallery? 
I mean, it's hard to say because it's so recent. Like, this is what she is doing this right now. So she right, hasn't. Yeah. So, but has she crossed going. over with Batman yet? Batman does appear. There is is part of it. Literally, just recently. So, like the past couple months is oh, when shit. Batman's kind of been involved. Because we more. kind of see Batman. Yes, we do, and I think that's a good point to get on. Because so she is hallucinating because she's infected by this fungi. So you get a lot of exposition through the hallucinations. She has her own special word for it: subconscious Batman. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I thought was interesting for one reason because the other kind of big recent DC that we read, I think even from the same year, 2022. Yeah, Human Target. Yeah, yeah, around that time, yeah. Had an, had another instance of that. Yeah, Batman appearing not as a character but as like a vision or an anxiety. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting thing that DC were clearly into at the time. Which is, how can we weave Batman in without actually showing him? Or, yeah, or having to write him as a character. Yeah, If totally. he's doing other stuff. And I think, the, like, Human Target is one example. I think this is the other. Like, they're just oh, interesting ways of we doing... just happen to see both examples. I, th- I, I would be shocked if others haven't done something similar. Yeah. I think it just speaks to how big a character Batman is. Hey, for that one commenter, we need to be factually yeah. accurate. <laughs> They'll correct us if not. Absolutely. Or just call us gay. Either way. Yeah, I mean, I'm cool with both. Yeah, <laughs> both are fine. Um, So... The Batman hallucination is especially interesting to me because it's at a point where she's about to kind of face off against like the villain of this first volume, uh, who turns out to be a guy who was the scientist who experimented on her and gave her the powers. Yeah. So she's kind of going into this like, I have to face this guy. And he turns out he's the guy who she stole the fungi from. So it kind of loops back into the, you know, the whole premise. Mm. Um, and as she's about to go into it, she's hallucinating a lot to an almost uncontrollable degree. Yeah. And those hallucinations, those hallucinations kind of then manifest into a singular hallucinating Batman in her yeah. perception. I think what i enjoyed so much about this is that this batman in her from her own psyche appears as almost like advice and guiding yeah. her on how to face this villain yeah i thought that's pretty interesting i did a bit of what's it called where you kind of read into it be extra or you add your own kind of head cannon yeah this. my thing was and i think head cannon like this is okay when you're kind of filling in blanks not not plot holes, but just little you blanks. You know how I feel about that yeah. stuff. <laughs> but like when when there are spaces, you can add your own stuff, but it doesn't take away if you don't. Do you know what I mean? Like that you've got the space where you can add your own I stuff. I do know in. what you mean, but I disagree. That's fair. I I like it when again I, I feel like it's it's interacting with the story a lot yeah. more because you're adding your own stuff to it, but you don't have you don't have to. You're not required of it to make it good. So for this, what I imagined was the reason that she was imagining Batman is because Batman is the person who has thwarted all her previous plans because she's not been successful. And now that she is facing against her own version of what she has been to Batman, her psyche has gone, well, who's the best person we know to, to, to handle this situation? I See, I chose to view that a bit differently. Go on. So there's a lot of instances in comic books where somebody's consciousness ends up in somebody else's body. Yep, 100%. And so if Batman's consciousness was in her body, this would make sense. It feels like they wanted to use that trope without actually using it. And so, because this is the thing, what we what we have to get into, if she's not actually got a little Batman existing in her consciousness, it's her imagining what Batman would do, but it's all coming from her consciousness. Yeah, And so for me, it was a little bit like, oh, it just doesn't make a whole lick of sense. I liked subconscious Batman. 
I liked it, but mm. it just didn't make a lot of sense for me because I wasn't. And I know we get into suspension of disbelief all the time mm. because it's like you can suspend your disbelief for a person who can like infect people with a random like mushroom based disease, yep, yep, like a weird fungal plague that she's creating. Athlete's foot, yep. <laughs> she's giving people lethal thrush, yep. Um, but you can't then suspend your disbelief for her having a fully functioning autonomous Batman in her consciousness. I think where you're getting at is the difference between uh, the feeling of whether something feels contrived or not. Yeah. That's the difference. Because if it, it's part of the existing suspension of disbelief, then it's, you know, it's, it's part and parcel mm. of what you're already reading. But if then something kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere, then it feels contrived. I... I feel the contrivance a bit more when she's talking to a character who just happens to start talking about or doing stuff with plants. And on the one hand, the way I kind of look at it is, on the one hand, what are the odds she would run into someone who's doing this? Right. But on the other hand, I also think, how long a timeline are we actually seeing? And yeah. is the story just picking out the points where she's inevitably ran into people doing that kind of stuff? And she's also mooching through Middle America. I imagine yeah. Middle America has a lot of agricultural activity. Exactly, yes. Uh, and that, that's what I mean. It, it, you you kind of swing. It's just where you feel. Like, it's where you just fall personally. It's, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Should we research that for that one guy? Just in case. What, agricultural stuff? Yeah, just, you know... How much agriculture is there in Middle America, Jamie? I think we can safely say a lot. Well, like, I don't know. This is the problem. I don't know. And assumptions are no longer safe on this podcast. I'm putting my eggs in the basket of there's a lot of agriculture in America. I'm, did, you, I'm, did you use that aphorism knowingly? What, eggs in the basket? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's agriculture. Pretty agriculture, I'm putting all it? my seeds in this one plant. <laughs> safe bet. All right, Johnny. But so seed. with regards to the Batman thing, again, I've, I've, I come across in the way of like, and I think they mentioned this. I think she says it where she says, who knows you better than your enemies? Yeah. And I think that's that's why she has a Batman in her head, because who has who else has she been interacting with other than obviously more recently Harley Quinn? Yeah. But beyond that, who else has she known and interacted with more than Batman? So if anyone's gonna kind of manifest in her psyche, it's I that's why that's why I enjoyed it more, I think, than you did. Yeah. Well, I didn't dislike it. I just struggled to suspend my disbelief for. Yeah, and that's fair enough. But yeah, that's it was an interesting part, I I thought yeah, at the very totally. least. Um, but like you mentioned earlier, the with regards to the topics that are kind of being brought in, like especially you said yeah. the the um the kind of ecological topics, yeah, uh, they do ha handle them a little bit heavy handed for me at points. You no, know she reminds me of in the popular culture, hmm. and I want you to guess: uh, fictional, non-fictional, non-fictional pop cultural figure, David Amber. No, okay, he said some shit like this. A little bit more divisive, probably a better singer. Uh, try and think of one of those. What, Bono? Please, please let me get what I want, because it would be the first time. Right. Morrissey! Okay, I don't know enough about Morrissey. I don't listen to him or anything. Oh, shit. I, I know he's been decisive and controversial. Yeah, I mean, anybody who knows anything about Morrissey will know what I'm hinting at here. It's like that idea that like humanity is a plague and our natural world is more important than humanity. Yeah. And uh, to be fair, that's been a running thing definitely in more recent years. Two prime examples I think of is um, Bill Hicks used to have a bit about that. That might be a bit more, bit more niche. That's not that recent. He's been dead a while. No. It's, well, yeah. It's a bit more really? niche a thing. But uh, mainly I was thinking of the bit from The Matrix, the bit with Agent Smith, where he literally describes... Um, humanity oh, yeah. as a virus and he's talking more about computer viruses but i think it extends to you know plagues on earth and stuff like that the matrix is one of those that's so open-ended you can do any kind of reading you want from it i mean it has a lot of 
open-ended questions, I think is it the best holds, way to describe. It holds up to quite a lot of different readings as The Matrix. It's quite an interesting one. I mean, The Matrix, I mean, is why it was like the most popular film when it came out, for obvious reasons. Yeah, abs- mm. yeah fucking hell. But again, this, this title, it does speak to the similar things of like humanity as a whole and mm. like their place in the world and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but like she specifically makes reference to a question I think a lot of comic fans have had about her. Which yeah. is the whether she, poison ivy is vegetarian or not? So I think it kind of comes from a it's jokey that way. Question. I think it kind of <laughs> comes in a kind of jokey way because the I think the joke was it was like, well, she loves plants, so is she then purely carnivore? Like, <laughs> we don't do a series. Well, uh, she they address that specifically, which I think was a, a good thing to do with this character. Wait, to, do they? Yeah, because she's eating in the diner, and she says she she raises that point. She said people ask. People wonder if I'm a vegetarian, which I think is a stupid question, because her thing is, it's never been, well, the old stereotype- I didn't clock that, mate. Ah, well, so the old stereotype version of her would probably have been like a don't eat plants, eat animals instead, because plants are better. Yeah. But this one, I think, is a lot more grounded version, where she says, obviously, I eat like everything, but everything that everyone else does, because it's not about what you eat, it's about- maintaining the balance of the natural world yeah and even she she makes the point of like even uh deer need to be kept under control by the wolves like their population like that's the the cycle do you know i must have just read right past that possibly it was the point where she was at the dive was only like for a page like one page literally oh yeah no yeah 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 yeah. Mm. i'm with you i'm with you and like like i said she makes the point of just um she actually goes into more detail about vegetarian stuff and how they're grown and i think she's addressing the probably not a misconception but she says like just because it's vegetarian doesn't mean it's healthy for the environment to grow and she talks about specifically how these like agave i think she mentions yes um, how that harms the environment because of how quickly and efficiently they need to produce it and all that and avocados yes exactly so her thing is she's not just vegetarian she's not just carnivore because she doesn't eat plants it's you know the larger debate about how healthy things are generally i'm pretty sure there's issues with waste from the almond industry as well yeah almonds are a big thing as well yeah because yeah, i've heard yeah because we, we are not the best people to ask about this yeah because there's a lot because obviously we don't we don't a lot of the almonds that get harvested now don't get harvested to be sold as and consumed as almonds they get they get made into milks and so there's a bunch of byproducts isn't there I think that's I think that's the issue. I've heard something. We might be wrong, but I, I've heard similar things. So again, write in if you know. Yeah, if you if you have if yeah if you know, just send us a YouTube comment. Yeah, calling us gay. Yes, <laughs> we only are, we only look at him if you call us gay. <laughs> Do you know now when somebody calls something gay? I've watched so much Community recently. I just picked a Chevy Chase. No, it was um uh I can't remember his name, but the character was Chang. No, Chevy Chase. Oh, sorry, Chevy Chase. To say a lot, I'm thinking of the meme. There was Chang when he was at the back of the uh, the classroom, and he's the teacher. He's at the back of the classroom, he just says, ha, gay! Oh yeah, that's like season one. That's like <laughs> yeah. early community, yeah. isn't it? And again, that's so. That's such a thing of like, obviously, using gay in a derogatory term is fucking awful. Now yeah. we all know this, but he says it so hilariously that you can't help but just have it in your head. Just go, ha, gay! I'm amazed that, you know, the episode where they convince Piz mm. that his six level robes have come and they've got him in a wizard outfit with a cookie on a stick and he thinks he's psychic for an episode and yeah. he stands behind um, Jeff. Definitely not a Scientology reference. Go on. Definitely not a Scientology reference. He stands behind Jeff and he puts his hands on and he's like, oh, gay, so much gay. Yeah. I'm amazed that that hasn't been gift yet. 
Yeah. Well, again, I think the... What is his name? He's the actor... I don't know, I'm going to look that up. So his name is Ken Jong. I was so close. You were pretty close, yes. But yeah, Ken Jong, when he says it, that's what I always think of. So going back to the relationship in this, because that is... We talked a lot about the, the origins of the Poison Ivy Harley Quinn uh, relationship. I do really like the argument that they kind of set up for before this starts. Yeah. So the argument... So here's the thing that I was kind of interested to get your take on. I did not know what happened in this before this comic. But, and you're kind of told it as the story goes. Right. The story being, and again, I didn't know this. I inferred this from everything that happened here. Just before this started, Poison Ivy was in some storyline where she gained, like, godlike powers over and plants she, and stuff. And yeah, it become, yeah, she talks about the loss of her power a lot, doesn't yeah. she? And how Harley helped take it away. Is that actually a thing? Like, I mean, I assume so. I just assume based on the fact it happened in a previous comic before this right, one. Right, okay. Um, so that, I like that they're explaining that, but not in a heavy-handed way. They didn't just go, for readers who don't know, in this past series, this happened. Like, they kind of tell you it through the dialogue and through yeah, the, na- and through do, the narrative. Yeah, but the actual argument between her and Harley, I thought was really good because it was, it basically explains in the argument in the flashback that Poison Ivy had all this power, but she wasn't going to sustain it. And yeah. Harley Quinn, I assume with the, with the Bat family probably, yeah. um, basically stopped her power to save her life. The Bat family. The Bat family, yeah. There's, there's a bunch of references to it. Yes. Never really understood what they're on about. I'm assuming they mean Batman. Yeah, Batman and the people he works with slash his family because he's adopted a bunch of Robins and all that. Right. Okay. It's a it's it's a nomenclature for just Bat family. Like the is people. Is this a thing in DC? Yeah. The yeah. Bat family. They address it. Yeah. But they're not the Batmans. I mean, their surname's not Batman. If that's what you mean. But they're the Bat family. Why are they not yeah. the Batmans? Because they're a bunch of because all the Robins are adopted. Are they? Does he actually adopt them? Yeah, adopts him in the kind of legal guardian kind of way. Dude, I mean, he's just a rich guy living in a failing city, adopting a fucking vigilante troop of hope. Child soldiers. Yeah, right. (laughs) And we still think of him as a hero. Yeah, pretty much. Wild. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, at least he's adopting the ones that are themselves normally orphans as well, so. (laughs) Yeah, but I feel like Bruce Wayne. Yep. Bruce Wayne? Bruce Wayne, yeah. I always get mixed up with the Hulk. Um, I feel like Bruce Wayne had a lot of advantages as an, as an orphan. Oh, yeah, undoubtedly, yes. Mucho privilege going on there. Yeah, 100%. Like, he's not your standard... Uh, that's part of the character, is how he's not your standard <laughs> orphan. One could argue. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty original thought, and you've just trampled all over it. Game by leg. Yes, JB. <laughs> we all well know. Well <laughs> We all know that Bruce Wayne is rich. <laughs> I, I think Bruce Wayne might have some... Financial advantages to. See, he paid for dinner. Fucking <laughs> hell, mate. He bought the bloody restaurant. <laughs> so, first thing about the argument, I thought that felt like a real, like, that they actually had a disagreement. Yeah. And, and obviously, Harley was in the right because the whole point is she saved Poison Ivy's life because she loves her. But I also can understand Poison Ivy's point of view of it's not, a, it's not, un, what's it? It's not logical. But I can understand her feeling of like, I was a god, I had everything and you took it away. I know you were trying to save my life. And the specific wording she uses, she says like, Harley says, I was trying to save you. And Poison Ivy said, you were trying to save the parts of me that were useless. I mean, I would imagine that if you made Jeff Bezos live in a council flat in Scunthorpe, he'd kill himself within the week. Yes, but the difference is Poison Ivy only had these godlike powers for a short time. 
But. Yeah, I mean, he has been an emperor of the universe for a hot minute now, hasn't he? Yeah, or well, one, one of them. Illuminati and all that bollocks. <laughs> yeah. Triangles. I just felt like it was a very understanding reason. It wasn't, it's, they, there's a habit of like contriving reasons like, why aren't you normally with the person you're normally with? It's like, we yeah. had an argument and then it's like, oh, what was the argument? It turns out to be bollocks. But this felt like a really genuine, like emotional thing. And even at the point where we were addressing it, Poison I was like, I was wrong. Like yeah. from the start, she's like, I know where you're coming from. I was wrong. I was emotional, but I have to do this thing now regardless. Yeah. So... Yeah, I thought that was a, a great way to start it. Uh, mm. Speaking of Batman... I'm I like a... the relationship between the two of them as well. Yeah, it, oh, it's a know. great relationship. And uh, you get a lot more of it and a lot better of it as the series goes on. Harley Quinn seemed a lot more sane than I was expecting. Well, I was going to make a point about this. So there's two points I've actually got with regards to the facial expressions, right? Mm. One is, so there's a point where Poison Ivy, she has just kind of saved the day in a little bit in one of these issues mm. which actually it's a hard pivot into anti-hero yeah, totally she's working the amazon place and there's a boss a shitty boss there who's also basically sexually harassing one yeah. of the women who works there and poison ivy definitely the anti-hero of like infection with the fungi it's like right i'm gonna command you to ad admit confess to sexual harassment yeah. and then you're gonna die and then she goes back to the, the work people. It's like, yeah, I've all fixed it now. It's fine. They're like, cool. Like, <laughs> don't look in his office because there's a fucking mushroom corpse in there. But I've fixed it. She loves to keep a mushroom because she has mushroom corpses piling up in the back of that van, doesn't she? Yeah, she's just riding along with them. She just chills with them. Yeah. But so she saves the day there. And then the woman who basically she's saved in this isolated way uh, kisses her and they go back to her hotel room. And in that moment, you have. <laughs> yes. And then in that moment, you have Harley Quinn, like a, a hallucination of yeah. her, watching from the corner. Yeah. Um, the point of it. And Harley is just watching blankly smiling. And the reason I made note of it was her face there, I thought, was quite blank and expressionless. Yeah. But, and this is why I acknowledge the jank, but I don't think it was as. as I think the art was still good overall. Yeah. I think her blank expression there was intentional. She was just a hollow hallucination. Hence why I didn't show you a photograph of it. Yeah, so you picked <laughs> up on it as well. Yeah, But yeah. I thought that was a, a, a nice little detail that could be misconstrued as, as bad art. In fairness, Ivy and Harley Quinn were both pretty well drawn throughout. I mean, it's, it's so interesting because when she, once she reads the sample size of comic books that we have and we've read a pretty notable sample size of the stuff that's kind of been out for the past like five or ten years doing this podcast yeah you do start to realize that and and, and i probably should have realized this before but most artists have their strengths and the things they're good at this artist was better at drawing women's faces than or this artist was better at drawing traditionally femme faces than sure. traditionally mask faces and i would say as well we've always got a knowledge with artists that a lot of them are being crunched to get oh, this stuff out as quickly yeah, as possible fun job is it no but and so whenever they do a good job i think it's even more impressive yeah totally the other facial expression which i really liked and this is coming back to when you brought up batman there's a moment where she's going to the the, the camper van and she hears something and she immediately spins around on the spot and goes oh my god is it him is it batman and her face in that it's a kind of uh close up of her face as, as it just says batman in the narration and she, the face really looks scared shocked like ready to yeah. like fight or flight kind of thing i thought they did a really good job of getting that face expression admittedly again they had a close-up panel so they yeah. had a bit more to work with but i felt still thought it was a really good job yeah no totally mm. um this idea of batman just appearing out of nowhere is fantastic That's... i mean i get that it's his thing because he's batman 
Yeah, and that's that's the the air of the character that you want to get across and things like this. I I think the best job of it was in Human Target. Yeah, I mean this idea of using all of your other properties to create a mythos about one of your main selling properties hmm. is really interesting, and I suppose it's something that could only come out of one of the big two. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you couldn't you couldn't do that in another publishing house that didn't have this huge interconnected universe, could you? No. And it's it's the pros and cons of the big universe. Like, yeah, totally. Like we're we're seeing these we're seeing all these like secondary characters, or in this case, a spin-off character who we're we're you know they're using the mythos of Batman to really great effect as an antagonist that doesn't even need to show up. Mm. You don't even need to draw the fucker. People just need to like people are scared of him. Uh, just the name alone, and you know exactly what the reference is what's yeah. going on so yeah definitely a good use of the character before they even had the hallucination batman in. even as a dirty casual like me mm, exactly and again i think that's what helps with these kind of crossovers like there there's titles like these they go we need to put someone big in so you know if someone casual is picked up that they know who they someone they recognize who we're dealing with yeah. i thought this did a good job of like well she's a batman villain let's get batman in for a bit we can't put him in properly yet let's do this kind of stuff and that's a, a good kind of compromise how are we feeling about the dialogue writing i thought the dialogue was pretty good overall yeah, me too. i thought there's a little bit of um there's some little cliched bits yeah, but both totally. but, but like for a big two comic like i thought it was better than most i mean in fairness we read a comic by one of this generation's best fantasy writers arguably mm. and you had issues with the little kind of cliched jokey bits there and then we're reading something by it would appear like an established but still up and coming DC staff writer. I definitely call it, yeah, definitely established by now. Not necessarily just DC, but of a comic writer for sure. Where actually we're seeing some pretty solid dialogue, pretty believable, pretty strong mm. dialogue. Like, there's a line that I took note of, which I thought was really good as like an encompassing line of getting across a lot of subtext. Yeah. It was when she's talking to these people in the diner. So this is the kind of journey where from issue one, she's like, I'm killing a bunch of people, just needs to be done, yeah. and I'm going to die as well. So it's so it's not selfish. Like, that's her self-reasoning. And then as we go on, she starts to question this, this goal. She's talking to these people in the diner. They're all very nice and, like, very just nice people who, who she's kind of rationalizing. Do they deserve to die kind of yeah. thing? And the line that I made note of, which I thought was so good, was she's wondering the ethics of it, and she says, it's too early to make exceptions. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, no, I remember that one. As a one-off line, I thought that's such a economic use of words. Yeah. Because it gets across how she feels about the goals that she has and her plans. And it gets across that she has doubts, but because of where she started, she cannot deviate from this. The plan is in motion. It's too late now. But she's it's her own plan she's set. So it, on the one hand, she feels compelled to continue, but it's also it's her setting the compulsion. Part of me wondered, and again, there's not a whole lot of textual evidence to this, but it kind of makes sense is that actually, well, it would have been interesting if it was actually the virus, make, like the, the fungus itself making her do these things. Yeah, I, that, that could be a plot point for, for sure. Like that would be a smart way to go if they, if they do that. They haven't done that yet, as I've read, but it's yeah. still ongoing. But again, like her motivations change so profoundly. Yeah, and I think in a way that makes sense. Like, yeah, totally. Because when you think about her 
previous life up until this point as just a Batman villain in Gotham mm. and just constantly committing crimes and terrorist acts, essentially. Mm. This is potentially the first time she's had as close to a normal life as possible yeah. and normal interactions with people. So it's fair to think, like, you could consider it contrived in the sense of, like, oh, she's spoken to people and now she's turned good. But I think this is really, like, the first instance in her life where she's had genuine conversations with normal people like imagine, for a long time i imagine a genuine conversation with one of the scores of people that you're trying to murder might change your motivations exactly it makes a lot of sense doesn't it and the fact that she's tr- trying to remind herself yeah. like no no we have this plan let's keep going kind of thing um yeah i thought again this is why i kind of picked this topic i thought yeah. at the very least this would be an interesting um topic to discuss is the character arc from villain to anti-hero because again i've read others and they just start from an anti-hero from the start and mm. it's just like who is this character now like this isn't who we know we just see a brand new representation of a character mm. straight away from that standpoint and it doesn't make a lot of sense because you don't see them getting there yeah another it's great almost an inverse villain origin story isn't it yeah yeah and i think that's more common these days and a, a good execution of it i think is more uh popular these days yeah, I think there's there's more kind of room for grey areas in our villains now, mm. isn't there? Another great one, one I've mentioned before, an uh, example from another character is when Doc Ock became Spider-Man. Because yes. that, and he, that was actually called the superior Spider-Man because his whole thing was, even though morally he had changed, he'd grown and changed and become essentially good, he still had his characteristics of like, but I'm going to be the best Spider-Man because I'm the smartest person who's ever lived and I'm, I'm going to do it way better than Peter Parker ever did. Even though he's like, Peter Parker's actually a really good guy and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sad that I killed him. He's like, but I'm going to be the best Spider-Man. Yeah. So I, I like that they still incorporate the, the actual core characteristics while changing the moral alignment. Mm. Yeah, I hear that. Mm. There's a part I want to get into now. I, I think we're, we're, we're near the end of talking about this, so I, I actually saved this part for the end for, for a reason you'll see. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the kind of the final parts with the, with the big bad, the antagonist, yeah. uh, called the Green Man, uh, uh, Doctor something. I can't remember the guy's name. So just quite very quickly for reference, do you yep. know about the Green Man? I did not know. And I, I, he might have appeared before, he might not, I don't know. I knew that there's a lot of iterations where she was, again, experimented on by someone, but I didn't know how... Pop, how common occurrence that character was do you know about the green man in pagan mythology i don't but uh so i know a green man of in dc comics there's a character swamp thing who yeah. who uh big big alan moran, alan moran yes yeah, yeah. but um he i think he's a built he's kind of a version of that for the dc universe so the green man is a figure in pagan mythology that i don't know a whole lot about unfortunately um, and I probably should have done a bit of research, but I have an effigy of him on one of my doors. So the green man is a kind of almost like a Santa kind of figure. A real pagan would get really upset with me here. So please right. forgive me. Um, but you create um, pottery plaques of him. Mm. And it's kind of like a big bearded man with some like botanical elements going on. Right. And you hang it on your door as kind of a blessing for your home. And so it's it's it, like they're clearly riffing on that here. Mm. Like clearly they're riffing on that here, and it's it's meant to be like a good luck blessing, and it wards off evil spirits, protects your home. Again, I have one hanging on one of my doors, um, and so it, it kind of struck me when they did that. I was like, oh, it's just another one of those little moments where one of the big two is riffing off of something mythological or religious, yeah, for their iconography. Mm. I think just using any kind of existing because it, it's probably one of those things that 
transcends cultures like yeah, there's totally. always been like the the figure of nature in the woods kind yeah, of thing exactly and we have more of like mother earth which is more poison ivy is she's more of a riff on that but yeah i think it's a more common thing if they if it wasn't directly from the pagan thing it probably is like indirectly influenced by the very least again the the like the earth mother trope that's a big thing in the polynesian mythology i think that might even be where we get the concept from possibly possibly it's weird how like certain religious ideas or iconographies will find their way into the popular culture and become so far removed from their original original religious roots that most people talk about them and don't understand it i think the reason is with the superhero universes because they're trying to make so many different characters Mm. i think inevitably you will find oh i just meant on a cultural level like the concept of gaia the earth mother and like Mm. earth mothers in general you know that pops up in greek mythology and the polynesian mythology and it's just become a con a construct that we use all the time in popular speech mother yeah. earth or the other big one that i had in my head up until two is karma right the concept of karma is like a really intrinsic hindu belief right and it's been extra uh, extracted so much from its roots that now when people talk about karma i think they use it in this really negative sense was a roots a pun i'll give you i'll give you a ding for that thank you where somebody will say oh you know something bad somebody does something bad to them they go oh karma goes around and comes around you're like that's not actually the concept but cool go for Mm. it i was i was saying with superheroes i think it was more like a a a microcosm example of how things filter into like pop culture and stuff um the bit i was about to get into was i'll explain it basically now the part of the end with the facing the antagonist and this the green man character and everything there is an element of uh and we'll get into it in a little more there's an element of like abusive ex kind of thing so i'm yeah. get into that a little more and warning, exactly so the, the that's what i'm saying now i think for a few minutes i'll put the time codes in the description or i'll even set like a timer for five minutes or something and we'll just quickly go through it but um basically just wanted to get into the metaphors as it were but it relates to abuse and stuff yeah so if you want to skip that part we're doing five minutes from now i will say now just skip ahead five minutes we'll be done talking about it so here we go so the reason i'm bringing it up is because this part of the story seems to be addressing the character who basically abused her in a way against her will that it affected her life going forward so it's kind of a ptsd thing um and why the reason i want to bring this up is is it because it's a female character that that feels like a compulsion with a lot of writers to do? Now, I understand, obviously, this is written by a female writer, so it's not. I'm not putting on this individual writer, but I'm saying as a larger thing in pop culture, you do find a lot of female characters having to overcome the male character who previously abused them, you know? Yeah, and we've talked about this in a few different contexts up and down the time we've done this podcast, haven't we? Mm. Um, You know, we've talked about... Uh, sexual violence as a narrative device and how we don't really feel particularly good about that at least in this instance she is overcoming and defeating the guy i mean i think i think what's interesting here is that you we're seeing something that could be read that way Mm. and not a very direct and overt representation thereof yep it's a superhero shenanigans metaphor for that kind of thing and that's the charm of metaphors is that you can you know you, you choose which metaphors you see don't you yeah my point was more that again because it's a female character does that feel like oh this trope again do you know what i mean yeah possibly possibly i mean to be honest with you i didn't get that sense as much i think i was getting it because she was literally experimented on by this guy and that yeah. felt like 
the strong metaphor for that. No, and- no, 100%. Now we're talking about it, I hear it. Yeah. Now we're talking about it, I can see what you're driving at. Mm. And the fact that not only she defeat the guy in the end, mm. but at one point, she, the, she used the fungus, the fungus mute, mutates in him, and then he takes control of it. So at one point, she can't move, and, yeah. she, and he's controlling her body. So that, for me, made it even more explicit. And what he's making her hold a knife to her, though, and then luckily the hallucination batman kind of gives her advice that helps her rework the situation and come out on top no now that you say it i think that loss of bodily autonomy Mm. is really galling isn't it yes and again the 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 discussion i want to have when we've only got two minutes 40 seconds left to discuss it i just (laughs) i want to get into how again this is just used so commonly in female characters and like like a, a a best example i can think of is jessica jones with her um antagonist the purple man i'm not familiar with it so he, his power is he literally controls people like he right. he, he oh, speaks God. and they yeah and she falls under his power and is basically a slave to him for a certain oh, time oh but the but they do that was like quite a few years ago so yeah. it wasn't as overused a trope at that point right okay and I, again, like when it was back then, it felt a bit fresher, but now it just feels like an overused trope. And yeah. that's what I kind of felt while reading this. Even though I still enjoyed the writing, I was like, oh, are we doing this again kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, do you know what? It's interesting. I mean, this hap- this happens all the time when we do when we do this, because we don't really talk about the comic before we get into it, is that one of us will clock something the other doesn't, and one of us will read something into something that the other doesn't. And I think this is one of those instances. And now, now that we're here talking about it, I see it. I'm yeah. right there with you i see it um and it's 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 difficult because these are topics that you don't really want to talk about exactly and or this think is, about yeah and then and this is exactly why i did the trigger or anything yeah. it's like because someone might just not want to have to deal with this totally. like this topic so fair enough um but yeah i thought it was important to mention i thought it was interesting at the end that she defeats the enemy and this guy and then she so in the superhero shenanigans of it she her healing factor is not doing enough to save her from the damage she's gone through so she literally eats the corpse of the guy she's eating the fungus that he's made of and she's ingesting more of this fungus to rebuild herself yeah is that is there a kind of metaphor there of like of in turn like dealing with and processing the the I mean, trauma maybe, or something yeah. like that i mean maybe like it's it's one of those things that you can read into it what you will can't you mm. i should also say as well we are not the best equipped to talk about it i no, just i felt like all. it would be kind of ignoring something if we didn't yeah no and i and i fully hear that and i suppose there there are those you know um undertones of like a rebirth almost yes yeah a a processing and a, a what's a larval stage or whatever we've yeah. got 15 seconds so which is uh, quite literally processing isn't she yes exactly so we've addressed it it's uh if you listen to this part then hopefully we just addressed it enough that it's a theme that came up and delicately enough yes we, we hope so three two one well that was an awful time ryan <laughs> oh my timer went off so that's great as well <laughs> that was a horrible time to be me wasn't fun wasn't fun but i saved it till the end i thought it was just last little bit to address and yeah. uh i think that's pretty much everything covered in yeah. uh, in the comic I, I to be honest i think there's a lot we didn't cover but that totally. did speak to it was quite a dense read for six yeah. issues of a comic totally. especially a big two superhero comic i think there was a lot more here to digest that we didn't have time for yeah um but again i think if you've listened this far and you haven't read it i hope that that kind of gives you a more more of a reason to actually give it a try yourself you'll totally be saying things that we didn't talk about exactly yes so 
That's Poison Ivy 2022 done and dusted. So, under our new 2024 scaling system, where where would you say it is? That's an interesting one. It's an interesting one because there's there's definitely goated elements of yeah. it. I would say. I think overall it may it's somewhat held back a bit by the by the limitations of it being a big two ongoing series. Yeah, I said this right up top, so I'm going to bookend it with it again. This was originally meant to be a limited miniseries. I think it would have been better and maybe even goated status if, if it, it had remained been. As such. Yes. The fact is I've read past it and I think there is a bit of not a huge criticism, there's a bit of wheel spinning that's gone yeah. on after where they're they're making new stories to continue it and right, keep going. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this these first six, compared to the rest that I've read, these first six are the kind of the tightest, most condensed story, the Makes packed, sense. most most focused subplot within this ongoing series. So it becomes a lot less focused. But it makes sense that it would. Yeah. And again, so if it was a miniseries, I think go it. I think right now I'd, I'd go strong based, I guess. Yeah, I'd say it's based. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you want to take us home? Yeah. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you had a wonderful time. Really appreciate all of you going into 2024. It's been a magical ride for both of us. Um, That sounds really condescending. We genuinely appreciate you. Yeah, well, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do, because I've been leaning back for a while, so I'm going to... You're going to go in power stance. I'm going to start this again. Thank you for listening. <laughs> it's been a wonderful time. Speaks to voiceover work. You have to do the physical stuff when you're doing voiceover. Oh, I, don't, I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, if you'd like to leave us a review, you can do so wherever you get your podcast. Just please make it five stars. That would be fantastic. If you want to send us an email, comicliterate at gmail.com. If you'd like to point out any historical or biological inaccuracies in the content you've just heard, leave us a YouTube comment, call us gay, tell us how we're wrong. We will read it out call us any sexual orientation i think it'd be interesting to spice up a bit throw some yeah, other ones be in inclusive there, you know? yeah be inclusive um thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful night thank you goodbye <laughs>